0: Before we get into this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast, just a quick mention to Sora Shimazaki, who provided the photograph which adorns the cover art to the podcast. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Chris Kirkbride. There have been a couple of suggestions for reforming corporate criminal liability over the last couple of weeks, one of which we covered on a special edition of the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast, and that was the all-party parliamentary group on anti-corruption and responsible tax, while the other was published on Friday last week, and it was the Law Commission's corporate criminal responsibi- uh, sorry, corporate criminal liability and options paper. Now, I wouldn't normally be too bothered about proposals for law reform on a podcast like this since they tend to be shoved into the long grass and only ever really get an airing in academic lectures, papers and at conferences. However, I think things may be somewhat different this time around. First, the invasion of Ukraine has focused minds of policymakers when it comes to the reform agenda and criminal law, especially in the realm of money laundering, sanctions, and corporate offences. Secondly, the agenda is being added to by a broader range of people this time around. It isn't merely the Law Commission, but the, um, of course, all-party parliamentary group coming up with these suggestions, as well as other non-affiliated parliamentarians. There is also continuous international pressure to make greater steps, greater efforts to combat financial crime. So I think it's a bit worthwhile having a deeper look at the proposal. So let's remind ourselves first of all of what the All Party Parliamentary Economic Crime Manifesto said. Now this manifesto was published last month, and because of its love and of acronyms, it focused its reform agenda around an acronym T or T.E.A.R., depending on how you pronounce it. Um, that stands for Transparency, Enforcement, Accountability and Regulation. Let's take each in turn. So let's start with Transparency. This element involves the identification of those who own companies, trusts and assets, allowing law enforcement and other others to be able to follow the money now that includes anybody it includes journalists as well now how can this be done specifically first the recommendations concern reform of companies house which is something we've looked at in previous editions of the financial crime monthly it's actually something the un has flagged for the uk and the imf uh, have flagged for the uk now what they proposed was the granting of new powers of verification over companies and their members and officers together with a power of removal. Secondly, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office should see that public registers of beneficial ownership are established in British overseas territories and crown dependent territories by 2023. Thirdly, they recommend as part of this transparency agenda that UK trusts registered the UK Trust Register at HMRC should be more transparent and accessible since An accessible register greatly enhances the fight against money laundering, etc. Finally, the implementation of the Register of Overseas Entities by Companies House should be completed with a good deal more haste than has been the case. Now, that has been updated on by Parliament. The Minister of State with responsibility for it has updated Parliament on that, and it is in motion. It is something which is heading towards its completion stage the second letter of the acronym enforcement well this element requires the emboldening of policy agent of policing agencies by seeing that they are well resourced so as they can enforce existing laws and deter wrongdoing this involves specifically an increase in funding by government matching the economic crime levy together with the establishment of the Economic Crime Fighting Fund, which would allow for the reinvestment of a proportion of the proceeds of regulatory and criminal fines to be reinvested in the fight. Finally, and this is where it brings in what the Law Commission has been talking about, and this is where both the all-party parliamentary group's manifesto and the Law Commission recommendations this week overlap, The all-party parliamentary group said that Britain's outdated and ineffective corporate criminal liability laws need to be reformed. This would involve legislation to create new failure to prevent offences for economic crimes, including money laundering and fraud. And there are other recommendations as well, which I'll come to in a moment. The law should be reformed to allow both companies and senior executives to be liable for their activities. Now, that's quite groundbreaking if it were to happen, and whether it does or not, I don't know. There's been a bit of muttering in both legal and regulatory press, but also in the mainstream press, about there being a, a, a sense that the law will change in this direction. But that remains to be seen. I'll say more about that in a moment. The third letter of tear, or tier A, accountability. This element means the empowerment of parliament, journalists, civil society, the courts and whistleblowers to unearth criminality and to hold the government to account. This would involve, this is their recommendation, a new select committee of both houses of parliament to hold agencies involved in, for example, tax avoidance, tax evasion, illicit finance, kleptocracies and corruption to be scrutinised. Now, secondly, and this is, this is something that's developed recently, the use of litigation to shut people up, to shut up those who are investigating. So what they propose is legislation to stop what are known as strategic lawsuits against public participation. There's another acronym, SLAP. Strategic Lawsuits Against Public Participation. Because they stifle debate and aim to censor and intimidate critics. The final recommendation under this accountability head is to enact a whistleblowing bill to establish an office for whistleblowers to provide protection to whistleblowers and where appropriate compensation for those who speak out where they see economic crimes being hidden now this happens to a large degree in the us where there are well-established whistleblower rules and well-established compensation procedures this the all-party parliamentary group suggests would strengthen the current framework for whistleblowing. The final letter of the acronym is, regu- is R for regulation. Now, this element involves the strengthening of supervision of the profession so that the enablers of economic crime answer for their actions. First, it would involve an overhaul of the anti money laundering supervision that strengthens the Office for Professional Body Anti Money Laundering Supervision, or OPBAS as it's known, and it give it new powers to sanction supervisors and ensure consistency of implementation. Secondly, reform to um, suspicious activity reports. Now, SARs are what are submitted by corporations when they suspect that money laundering may be taking place. Now, they recommend the reform of the SARs system because they suggest it isn't working at the moment and they recommend reform by the creation of a rating system so that quality takes precedence over quantity when it comes to SARS, which might be said to be the other way around at the moment. There is a bit of defensive compliance and throwing SARS at the wall to see which happened to stick. Thirdly, HM Revenue and Customs should be empowered and resourced to police the perimeter of money laundering regulations. Fourthly, work should be done to counter the threat posed by cryptocurrency. Now, the all-party parliamentary group said that this was quite a pressing change that needed to be done because it seems that the policy of the British government is to make cryptocurrency a key aspect of financial services landscape or the financial services landscape in the United Kingdom in, in the near future. Now, the Financial Conduct Authority should receive better resources to ensure that it's well placed to combat the threat which this new form of investment the cryptocurrency poses to the financial system and this is something that's been looked at not only in the united kingdom but also globally as well now the manifesto is bold it is a bold one and frankly it's one which to a degree, mirrors a significant amount of work which is either being undertaken or planned The chair and the co-chair of the manifesto were extremely pleased with themselves, and to such a degree they're all over the press touting the manifesto to anybody who would listen. Uh, Margaret Hodge, uh, the MP for Barking uh, in East London, uh, is the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on anti-corruption and responsible tax. And she was back in the news last week, only this time she was criticising the Law Commission Uh, the Law Commission's options paper, which was published last Friday. According to The Guardian, she described it as uninspired and insipid and a thundering nuisance, so that begs the question, what was it about the Law Commission's proposals in this options paper, which were so radically different, so uninspiring, that they fell somewhere short of what the all-party parliamentary group had put forward in its own manifesto? Well, I suppose I should make this point first. The, the the key point to make is that the Law Commission publication is just an options paper which commits to nothing really specific. I mean, Law Commission reports and so on don't commit to anything anyway. The government still would have to enact it if it wanted to. But I suppose the difference is a report would make clear recommendations uh, for the path to be chosen and may even provide draft legislation. This stops short of that, because it doesn't seem to me that it's designed for that purpose. But one thing it does do, it does indicate a possible mood at the Law Commission should a report ultimately be demanded by Parliament. For now, it gives a range of options. Now, I should say this as well, that the Law Commission's options paper is much narrower than the kind of grand, blue-sky-thinking manifesto of the All-Party Parliamentary Group, but as I've said, there is some overlap between what the manifesto of the All-Party Parliamentary Group said and the Law Commission. Now, I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the overlap. Now, you'll recall that one of the things that the All-Party Parliamentary Group uh, was concerned with was enforceability. That was the second E of their tear or TIER acronym. Now, within that, they called for reform of what's known as the identification principle or the identification doctrine um, and an increase in the range of failure to prevent offences. Now, it's worth a brief explainer at this point as to what the identification principle is. Um, It's the present mechanisms by which corporations can be held to be liable for criminal acts. Now, under the principle, where a natural person from the corporation is shown to be the directing mind and will... Of the company or corporation in relation to an act with which the corporation is charged, then the company may be held liable for that particular criminality. Now, as a rule, the identification principle typically attaches to more senior members of the corporation. Though making this link is by no means straightforward or necessarily going to lead to a corporate conviction. Well, the all-party parliamentary group in its manifesto recommended that the identification principle be replaced with a form of vicarious liability where the corporation takes responsibility for the wrongdoing by senior executives or employees. Now, vicarious liability is a common concept in what we call the law of tort. It's used there. So that is, a, that is, I suppose, in that sense, a familiar concept. Now, the important, I suppose, what the parliamentary group said, the important reason for moving away from the identification principle towards vicarious liability is that it would remove the need to find the directing mind of the corporation so as to satisfy the identification principle. Now, by contrast, the Law Commission in its options paper made two recommendations in relation to the identification principle first, that it could be retained in its present form, or secondly, that it could be subject to a limited extension. Now, the extension would allow conduct to be attributed to a corporation if a member of the corporation's senior management engaged in or consented to or connived in the offence. A member of senior management who Uh, would be any person who plays a significant role in the making of decisions about how the whole or a substantial part of the organization's activities are to be managed or organised, or the actual managing or organising of the whole or a substantial part of those activities. So it is a a, a kind of slight extension of the uh, principle. One further alternative is just what I described, but with the following proviso that the corporation's chief executive officer and its chief financial officer would always be considered to be members of senior management, and this, uh, by all accounts, uh, mirrors the position in Canadian law. Now, naturally, the manifesto goes further, but with respect to the all-party parliamentary groups manifesto, it does not provide the drilled-down detail which, of course, the Law Commission Options Paper does. Uh, It doesn't provide any detail which supports the wholesale removal of the identification principle with a vicarious liability alternative. In fact, all the manifesto seems to do is appeal to the outdated nature of English law in this area and the fact that there are scandals, and have been scandals, permeating the city which would tend to support the idea that the law isn't fit for purpose. To be frank, I'd actually I actually find this quite interesting. I'd welcome some more detail on a vicarious liability principle and whether this principle would develop along parallel lines to vicarious liability in tort. This is an area of law which is not entirely settled and whose operational principles are the subject of seemingly continuous review by the judiciary the approach of the law commission albeit less radical by contrast at least it has the benefit of being able to take its lead from another jurisdiction where that approach to the identification doctrine is well established so those are the the that's the reality of the options. The option is you can go with this minor change in the law where we can draw on the jurisprudence in other countries to develop our law, or we can go with something a bit more radical, something which is, to a degree, untested. Secondly, the all-party parliamentary group, as I mentioned, recommended that failure to prevent offences should be extended. As indicated variously in earlier editions of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, there are already failure to prevent offences which, to a degree, rid the law of the problems of the identification principle by making the liability strict, where an individual within an organisation commits a primary offence. So it would be a good example just to explain how this would work. I'll do it in relation to bribery. I've mentioned this before. In relation to bribery, where an employee or a person with a connection to a corporation commits an active bribery offence, either under sections 1 or 6 1 is just a generic active bribery offence section 6 is the active bribery of a foreign public official uh, of the bribery act 2010 those those two statute provisions then the corporation is strictly liable for the offence of failure to prevent by a corporation failure by, by a corporation to prevent bribery under section 7 of the bribery act 2010 now this is subject to the defence that the corporation had in place adequate procedures designed to prevent bribery. And it's easy to see why this is a preferable route to holding a corporation liable. In light of this, the all-party parliamentary group would actually like to introduce new corporate failure to prevent offences, or failing to prevent money laundering, failure to prevent fraud, sanctions evasion, and false accounting. And additionally, to introduce senior executive liability with individual failure to prevent economic crime offences. Now, by contrast, the Law Commission is a little more circumspect when it comes to the use of failure to prevent offences. It indicates a preference for an offence of failure to prevent fraud by an associated person. Again, this is the broad definition which, to a degree, mirrors the breadth of the connected person um, definition under the Bribery Act 2010. So it could include an employee certainly but also an agent as well who acts on behalf of the corporation. The offence as proposed by the Law Commission would also have a defence though one based on reasonableness rather than adequacy. The corporation would need to show that it had in place prevention procedures such as were reasonable in the circumstances. So I think it would be attuned to what was going on in that particular corporation. As with the Adequate Procedures Defence, which is available under Section 7 of the Bribery Act 2010, the government would need to issue guidance on procedure. Once again, the Law Commission adopts a more conservative approach to reform of the law, though one which at least states it has a consensus around it. But you can see why Margaret Hodge, MP, who was chair of the All-Party Parliamentary Group, given the boldness of their manifesto, was mildly frustrated with the direction the Law Commission took. Nevertheless, I think the Law Commission does have uh, the conf- consoling effect that there is at least a body of law which can guide the development of the new law. But it does leave open the question of whether the state of financial crime enforcement in the UK does need something more radical, as the all-party parliamentary group has said. There are options which exist. There are options that exist that could go further, which bear some relation to what we already have. Namely, a broader offence of failure to prevent economic crime. Now, if I remember rightly, this had some support from Lisa Osofsky, who's current head of the SFO, and I mentioned this last week in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, and but also her predecessor, David Green, who now works for a city law firm. He even said that there should be a general offence of failure to prevent economic crime. That said, the all-party parliamentary group does stop short of that, and of course the Law Commission certainly does so- stop short of a general offence. Although the wording of the all-party parliamentary group's material is a bit ambiguous at times, which is frustrating, it does seem to indicate that a generic offence is not what they're looking at, they're looking at a more concerted range of specific offences. Now, why they've not embraced a generic offence is anyone's guess. It could be in the difficulty of defining what amounts to an economic crime, something which is not without controversy. Alternatively, it might have something to do with the feeling that there are appropriate mechanisms for accountability already in place, or imminently to be so. Indeed, as I, as I write this on the 16th of June, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation in the UK or OFSI, has had the power for a whole 24 hours to issue strict liability monetary penalties for financial sanction, sanctions breaches. So there is an alternative way of doing things, And they are being done. So maybe that is an alternative means of getting to the same point. This space needs to be watched, but it's easy to see that the all-party parliamentary group, which clearly wants the law to have a more robust response to financial and economic crimes, uh, it must have a sense of enormous frustration at the lukewarm range of options from the Law Commission. That's it for this Financial Crime Weekly Podcast special back on Sunday with the usual weekly.